Welcome to the Soul of Islam radio podcast with Ahmed Saqamini and Emil Ihsan Alexander Tarabi. This is episode number nine of season number one. My name is Ahmed and I'm a researcher in atomic molecular optical physics, a spoken word artist, and deeply committed to sharing the fundamental connection between science and spirituality with our community and beyond. Ihsan is a lifelong student of Islamic spirituality and the founder and creator of the highly acclaimed Islamic Meditation and Eternal Warrior Way programs. He is a spiritual coach, writer, and speaker committed to the evolution of consciousness within the global community. The Soul of Islam radio podcast is committed to sharing the deeper dimension of Islam and supporting your personal growth and spiritual development. Today's podcast will explore the journey of a seeker on his path to Islam. In this episode, we will interview Daniel Amin Coleman. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in globalization studies with a minor in renewable energy. He is also a graduate of the University of Spiritual Healing and Sufism. He is a student of Islamic spirituality, a soul-shaking musician, and a student of martial arts. We are very excited to have him here at Soul of Islam Radio. Brother Daniel, assalamu alaikum and welcome to the show. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. And of course, joining me to interview our special guest is my brother Ihsan. Assalamu alaikum, akhi. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. It's wonderful to be here again with you, Ahmed, and with my good friend, Brother Daniel Amin. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be on the show. I'm a big fan, big supporter of you guys. It's nice to be here. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So to start us off, Brother Daniel, could you tell us and the listeners a little bit about your background, cultural or religious, as well as your your path before your entry into Islam? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Um, sure, yeah. I was raised uh, kind of unconventionally. Uh, I was raised in a Nitran Buddhist tradition. My mother was from a Greek Orthodox family and my father was from a Jewish family. But they actually both converted to Buddhism before I was born. So I was actually raised as a Buddhist. So I was always a little bit, you know, somewhat different than, you know, some of the cultural norms that we've seen, you know, most people in this country being raised as Jewish or Christian. So since I've known you, Daniel, you've always had a very spiritual nature. Is this something that's been with you throughout your life? Were you all, do you consider yourself always having been a seeker of truth? And what has that been like growing up? And maybe you can go into a little bit about how that led you to where you're at today. Yeah, I, I do. I always felt I was a seeker of truth. I was very grounded in my Buddhist practice, and I, I never really uh, had considered that I would find something that was a deeper expression of the truth. Um, that being said, I was always open to the way uh, that different traditions would bring the fundamental truth that I saw in, in different expressions, different languages. So I was always a seeker. I, I had studied shamanism. Um, I got into kundalini yoga for a while. Um, although my foundation was Buddhism, I was certainly open-minded to other traditions and other expressions of knowledge and wisdom. Um, I was interested in Eckhart Tolle deeply for a while, as well as um, I had read the Conversations with God book, uh, which really started to kind of open my perception to this idea of a, a personal God. In Buddhism, there's not really an understanding of a personal God. It's more of an understanding of this, you know, 
causal universe, cause and effect, and a universal life force that permeates everything, but not necessarily a conscious deity. You know, that's very interesting. Often we hear of conversion stories that are very powerful, um, and mainly because they have to develop a certain level of yaqeen, certainty, before they convert to Islam. And typically we see people revert to the path of Islam because of their exposure to the external dimension, the external practices, which are very attractive and powerful, such as salat, you know, worship, fasting, and such things. And just to build on what you're saying, I feel like the, the seeker inside of you was the reason that drove you or led you to the inner path of Islam. Would you say that is the reason or are there any other reasons besides that? You know, I, I would definitely agree with you. I, I would say, however, um, just to clarify that the outer aspects of religion were not what drew me in. In fact, um, my first exposure to Islam was through Sufism. And as a Buddhist, we would do chanting and mantras and recitations. So that was very familiar to me. So traditional Islam wouldn't have really made sense to me if I came straight to that. But I had come to some Sufi gatherings and I'd seen the people making zikr. And that was actually, you know, very familiar to me. So I was able to kind of dive into that and, and get an experience of what making zikr was like. And I would always note how it would shift my awareness, it would shift my consciousness. I'd really feel a sense of deep peace and, and serenity that would come from it. And I started to be able to compare that to some of, you know, doing the Buddhist chanting. And it was interesting because Buddhism talks a lot about compassion for all life and peace and all that. And those are the aspects of Buddhism that are very beautiful and I think very much in alignment with, you know, the prophetic teachings. That being said, the actual experience in my being um, of peace, there was nothing like what I felt when I would make zikr of Allah. And that was what started to kind of open the door into seeing, wow, these Arabic, you know, phrases, these sacred Arabic in intonations have such an amazing power over my internal reality. I, I would feel so peaceful and empowered and just and cared for by the divine after reciting these phrases. So that really started to open the door. And it actually it was a, what allowed me to eventually open the door to the outer practices of doing the salah and, and of course, the fasting and all the five pillars. You know, when we look at the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his companions, this would mirror what their experience was like. The Prophet ﷺ provided an experiential introduction or pathway into Islam. And in the beginning, really there wasn't a strong emphasis on physical practices, on the Sharia. In the beginning, it was really purely spirituality. And it seems like sometimes nowadays, maybe again, you know, we've, we've talked about this a lot in this program, how that experiential, spiritual dimension of Islam has sort of been sidetracked, almost forgotten or lost. But alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, you know, that is, it appears to be the path that, that led you to it. Once you experienced the spirituality of Islam, was it then easier for you to find your way into the physical, the practices, and to embracing and honoring the Sharia? You know, that's a great question. Um, I do remember, it was, it's been fun trying to recall my experience during this conversation with you guys because... Um, honestly, I've forgotten a lot of those intermediary connections that were being formed in the journey to becoming Muslim. But I do remember thinking, you know, I would go and, and, and to some of these, you know, Sufi halakas and I would see people making salat. And I was, I, I literally thought, I was like, man, you know, these Sufis are awesome. I love this path. It's too bad they don't know. They don't have to do all that stupid bowing stuff. That was literally what I thought. And subhanAllah, eventually, um, 
I dove in and just said, you know, I'm going to try this and see what it's all about. And I do remember my first experiential opening with the Salah. It actually, subhanAllah, Allah was very generous. And I had an opening with the Salah that came in that was after only the first few times of having tried it. And I remember the moment of, of putting my forehead in sujood upon the ground. And I felt an, an amazing, tangible, like a spiritual weight had lifted off my shoulders. And I felt lighter and I felt more at peace and I felt more myself. And, and that was what came through. I was like, wow, every time I prostrate, every time I put my forehead on this ground, onto this mat, I, I feel like layers of falseness and illusion are being removed from me and I'm becoming more myself. It wasn't until many years later, I actually was sitting in a khutbah during a Juma uh, Friday prayer and I heard one of the sheikhs talking about hadith. There was a hadith that actually said, you wear your sins on your shoulders. And when you pray, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes those sins. And I just smiled because it was literally maybe five years later, but it totally confirmed my experience. La ilaha illallah. What sort of challenges or obstacles did you face upon entering the path of Islam? And how were you able to overcome those obstacles? I was actually in a relationship at the time. I, you know, I, I came from the American culture. So, you know, obviously it's a lot more, you know, acceptable to just be in a, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend kind of situation. So the honest truth was that, you know, when I became Muslim, I, I, I was hesitating because I was like, I'm not sure if I'm ready. I'm in this relationship. I, I don't know if I'm ready to get married because I know that's one of the conditions of Islam. And honestly, I had a friend his exact words were, you know, it's better to be a sinner than a kafir. Just take shahada because you never know when you're going to die. But anyway, subhanAllah, uh, eventually I did take shahada. And um, there was, you know, kind of this time where I had to figure out, okay, really, is this the right girl for me? Is this relationship heading towards marriage? Um, is this, you know, somebody that can come with me to this religion? And, um, you know, may Allah guide her and bless her. She's a beautiful person and and but we did eventually realize we were going in different directions. And so we decided to end our relationship, but, you know, amiably, um, you know, we still are friends. And um, she actually really supported me in many ways during that journey. She she helped me through my first Ramadan. And she didn't understand it, but may Allah reward her. She supported me anyways. And that was a really important aspect of um, one of the challenges I certainly went through was really conforming my life to, you know, match the Sharia. Additionally, there's always the, you know, the the parent, the father, I should say, that wants to, wants me to follow in his footsteps. My dad is a, you know, active practicing Buddhist still, and he's very strong and very committed to his path. And, and of course, he was sad, you know, he was sad to, to see that I was leaving that path. And, you know, there's an aspect of religion that can become very tribal. You know, we know from the Quran, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us how people followed the ways of their forefathers, even if it was, you know, devoid of sense. And um, I'm not saying Buddhism is devoid of all sense, but I'm just saying that, you know, it's it's a cultural, you know, implication to follow one's parents is just kind of the natural status quo. And so I certainly had to leave that. There was certainly, you know, some challenge there. Although, you know, my dad's a very good person and 
we had our differences and our disagreements, but there was never really a, like a heated or, you know, angry situation. But there was certainly the, you know, facing the disappointment of not pleasing your father, you could say. The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu advised his companions, his followers, the Ummah, to continually seek knowledge. And he said, seek knowledge even unto China. And the early Muslims, they were hungry for knowledge. They were continually seeking knowledge. And this led to the Islamic golden age. They embraced knowledge in every culture, in every tradition, even in other spiritual paths, synthesized it through Islam, perfected it, took it to a new level. I've studied Buddhism to some degree myself and found great beauty within it. And yet I've realized, I've seen that the greatest goals of Buddhism, the aspirations of Buddhism to transcend the self can be found, or not can be found, but are really at the essence of Islam as well. So in my experience, Islam contains so many other paths, or all other paths, all other truths. Coming into Islam, did you feel like you were leaving something behind, or maybe perhaps going even more deeply into the very things you had always valued? You know, Aksan, that's really well said and well put. Um, truth is truth. You know, there is only, the only truth in existence is the truth of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That doesn't mean, however, that Islam is the only expression of that truth. There is certainly truth and wisdom in other traditions. And ultimately, we don't know which earlier traditions came from prophetic books or prophetic teachings. So it, we certainly cannot discount other traditions. Um, in fact, we should look for the, the unity within the traditions while still being anchored and grounded in the Islamic teachings, since we know as mukmins that that the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam was the seal of the prophets the seal of the messengers so yes to answer your question i would say that islam solidified and clarified a lot of the things that i'd already kind of been understanding through other traditions and it also took it to a a, a new and different level it brought in a new element of understanding that had surpassed other understandings but I, I must say, particularly, a lot of those understandings came through the Sufi tradition. And I'm not sure that I would have found it in the face value in just some of the outer interpretations of Islam. SubhanAllah, it feels like you've been fortunate to have walked a different path before this one, a path of spirituality. Now, just to clarify a little bit more, what sort of differences or similarities did you find between the meditation that is practiced amongst Buddhists and the dhikr meditation that is practiced amongst uh, Muslims? You know, that's a very good, good question, and it requires a big qualifier. Buddhism is very hard to classify because there's probably thousands upon thousands of sects of Buddhism, each with its own cultural traditions overlaid on top of the teachings as they spread from Nepal and India eastward through the Orient uh, into China and Thailand and Japan. And I was studying a Japanese sect of Buddhism, so it, it's really hard to clarify and identify Buddhism as a whole. And I think a lot of times people try to make sweeping you know, claims about Buddhism or just classifications of Buddhism, and I think it's too nuanced to do that. So I can only speak from, from within my own tradition, which was a Nichiren Buddhist tradition um, out of Japan, and I would say there was a lot of similarities, um, actually, uh, in terms of, of doing the chanting and things like that. However, it lacked the understanding of, of a deity. It was really very self-oriented. It was really about manifesting from the self. And 
making zikr of Allah was completely different in its intention because it was actually reaching out to the infinite creator who sustains you, who nourishes you. So one of the first differences I noticed was that actually Buddhist chanting could actually be exhausting at times in a certain way when it was coming very much from self-effort and, and self-motivation. Whereas in, in the Sufi zikr, it was really about selflessness. It was really about prostrating. It was really about receiving, receiving the light and support and sustenance and wisdom and beauty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So one of the early things I noticed was that zikr was a lot more invigorating because ultimately, just like our body needs to eat, you know, three times a day, our soul needs to drink spiritually. And the zikr was an opportunity for me to drink. So having had, again, this experiential path into Islam, what was the defining experience that lets you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that this was the path that your Creator had intended? You know, Aksan, that's an excellent question. And, and I think that it was a series of things that led up to it. The very first real exposure to it, I was invited to come see a, a sheikh from Jerusalem. His name was Sidi Muhammad al-Jamal. And he was going to be giving a, a teaching in Sacramento. And this was part of the University of Spiritual Healing and Sufism. They had put on this event. And they were offering a, a five-day experiential uh, free program for guests um, who had never been exposed to these teachings. So I took the opportunity to go and... I was just really impressed and enamored with the teachers in this tradition. I felt like they carried so much truth in their beings. And I could feel it. I could sense it. And there was something that they carried that I, I was deeply attracted to. I was deeply attracted to the possibility of, of improving my spiritual understandings and to improving my character. And this path presented a tangible way of actualizing that. I remember also there were some tajalis that were coming in, somewhat you could say maybe a divine inspiration of sorts. I remember when I first entered the place, I saw a man, his name was Salah, and an image flashed into my mind of this man standing on this rock cliff with these cl clouds parting in the sky and the light shining down. And it was this very, you know, kind of almost cliche image of a holy person and, and the light shining down upon them. And honestly, because I'd come from a Buddhist tradition, I didn't really have a reference point for that other than the Simpsons and the Ned Flanders character. And so that when this image came into my mind, I just laughed, actually. I laughed because it, it seemed almost funny to me at first. But then another image came in right after that, and it was an image of me but it was an image of my potential. It was an image of me as, you know, strong and wise and holy and sincere and carrying, you know, the prophetic qualities that the human being has the potential to carry. I didn't really know fully what it was at the time, but what really came through was this was an image that God was showing me of the potential of who I could become if I followed in this way. So that was immediately exciting and inspiring because it felt like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was inviting me to actualize that. Later on, by the end of the five-day workshop, the Sheikh Sidi Muhammad was offering the bayah, the promise. And I didn't know what was happening, but when they offered, they said, who would like to take bayah with the Sheikh? 
before I had time to even know what was happening, I was standing up. Like my heart knew what was happening and my mind was like, why am I standing? What, what What's going on? And somehow I was just walking to the front of the room where there was about several other people taking the promise. So there we were up on the stage and, and we were repeating after him as we took the promise, you know, the promise to follow the prophetic way, the promise to not make any separation between the messengers, the promise to feed and care for the poor, the promise to really honor the Prophet Muhammad wasallam as the final prophet and messenger, and the prophet to do our best to uphold his example. At the end of the promise, he was bestowing names upon the students that had been entering into this way. And I was the last of the five to get my name. And I, I remember watching him. We were sitting down at his feet. He was sitting in this chair. And we were sitting cross-legged at his feet around him as he was giving us his our names. And I remember feeling this sheer terror. I, I, I don't know why, but I was absolutely terrified. I don't know why, but I... I sense somehow that he was seeing us on such a deep level and it, it felt very scary actually and so he went around and giving each person their names and then he turned to me and he said amin the deep honesty and so that was where i received my name and subhanallah i remember watching him as he was going and naming people and i distinctly remember feeling that he looked like a puppet he looked like like God was just pulling his strings as if he was not acting on his own will, but rather acting as an instrument of the divine. So that image has always stayed with me very deeply. SubhanAllah. Could you share with us and the listeners maybe some other divine inspirations or experiences that you've had that grounded your faith, your iman, and increased that level of certainty, that level of yaqeen in your heart? SubhanAllah, yeah, there were definitely some signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was showing me along the path, some of them quite literal. I remember one that makes me laugh. I went on a trip, a camping trip with my father to Yosemite. It's a gorgeous, uh, one of the most gorgeous national parks. And there was a place in Yosemite called Tuolumne Meadows. And it's spelled something like T-O-U-L-L-M-N-E. It's a Native American word, and it's you would never know how to pronounce it if there wasn't a pronunciation guide next to it. So as we were there looking at the park maps and stuff, I was looking at this pronunciation guide. And I kid you not, it literally said in parentheses, to space, Allah space, me space, T O dash A-L-L-A-H dash M-E. And subhanAllah, I just laughed. I was like, this has to be a sign from Allah. Despite having taken the bayah, I was still at that time questioning my full allegiance to the path. I was actually simultaneously practicing Buddhism and simultaneously practicing Sufism at the same time. And so I certainly needed some more indications of which way to go on this journey. And things such as that kept showing up. There were other times where I was praying saying, you know, as I was explaining earlier, Buddhism believes more in a just universal life force as opposed to a conscious deity. And so I would pray though, and I would say, you know, okay, God, if, if, if you really are a conscious deity and not just a universal life force, please help me to understand that. Please show me a sign. And I, I remember right after asking that question, I was actually just perusing in a some kind of store, uh, some kind of thrift store, 
and there was this used DVD rack, and I just picked a random DVD, completely at random, and I pulled it up, and there in big white letters it said, I am the Lord your God. That was the name of the movie that I had picked randomly. And subhanAllah, I laughed, and I just put it back, and I was like, this is amazing. This is, God was showing me, God is speaking to me through these various signs. But perhaps the most profound moment was um, upon entering the University of Spiritual Healing and Sufism, I had embarked on this journey because I was wanting to deepen my understanding of Islamic spirituality and was also very interested in the healing arts. In, in the, the university teaches the prophetic medicine and, and various healing arts within Islamic spirituality. So I'd enrolled in that program and I was very interested in it and I was diving deeper into Islam and Sufism. But meanwhile, in my environment, there were some pretty influential, powerful people that were kind of turning, trying to turn me against Islam. And there was something that happened in the news right before me going to my next session at the Sufi University. And it was some Islamic leader from some country that was, you know, advocating for tolerance in some way, shape or form. And just for advocating for a more tolerant approach, he was shot like a hundred times in the back by machine guns, by his own bodyguards, his own people that were supposedly there to protect him. And I was just really disheartened by that. It was just really disgusted by that. And I just thought, you know, if this is Islam, I want absolutely nothing to do with this. This is horrible. This is atrocious, you know. So I entered upon into the university with this on my heart, with this weighing down on me. And I was really uncertain as to my my trajectory on, on my path. I was like, not really sure that this was my path anymore. I was very turned off by this. But subhanAllah, the week that I had the most animosity and distrust towards Islam, something happened. I was actually receiving a healing session from one of the students. And this healing session involved certain rukiyas, uh, you could say divine healing phrases that were being recited. And as he was performing this healing modality upon me, something so deep in my being had shifted and healed that was on such a profound level that this overwhelming sense of safety and beauty and security just flooded my entire being. I felt completely at peace, completely held and cared for by the divine, and completely supported. And what happened was my heart had opened to such a degree that I could say on some level I had tasted the divine, on some level I was experiencing God in a way that I had never experienced before. And the certitude of God's existence in that moment had entered into my heart. After that time, you could say that my faith would go up and down, as I think all of ours does. But that moment of yakin, that moment of certitude, that moment of experiencing that, that nearness to God has never left me on some level. And it has always stayed with me as a reference for remembering God's mercy and care and guidance upon me. When I came home from that week, that healing session, I was certain that Islam was the path that Allah wanted me to follow. And I had been reading the Quran up until that point. And honestly, I'd been kind of struggling with it. it the Quran, subhanAllah, is a beautiful book, but it's a very strong book. And not having been raised with the conceptions of, of heaven and hellfire, 
It can be sometimes intense as you're reading the book for the first time and coming to this way of understanding reward and punishment in, in the divine sense. But subhanAllah, after that week, after that opening, the first thing I did when I got home was walk into my room and I wanted to open the Quran. And when I opened the Quran, I could feel light pouring out of the book. I could literally feel light emanating out of the Quran that I wanted to have my face near the letters because I could feel that this was a sacred divine book and it was a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After that point, I knew that no matter what things came up, no matter what objections or issues around Islam that were going to try to come up to trigger me, I had a foundation, a grounding that I knew this was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that even if I didn't understand it intellectually from the level of my mind, that my heart and my soul understood it. And to not stop with the outer meanings and to not stop with the outside pictures, but to travel deeper into the essence of what the truth was. So I remember in my experience, Daniel, when I first began really studying Islam sincerely and attempting to adopt all of the practices fully, uh, it was at times, it was a challenge, it was a burden. After a certain amount of time, it became difficult to keep carrying these things. And I was trying to do it very sincerely. Um, not just the minimum five prayers, but you know, getting up for night prayers and, and doing all of these things. And there was a certain element of force. But when I discovered Islamic spirituality, it was like an energy, a light, began to fuel my practice. And it wasn't so much about me forcing myself to do my prayers or to fast or to wake up in the morning. It was like I was being pulled to these practices. It was like the soul was being nourished by these practices. A very different experience. In your experience... What has that been like? And how has Islamic spirituality helped to actually fuel your physical practices, your observance of the physical aspects of Islam? SubhanAllah, Ihsan, that's really beautifully put. And I think that you bring up such an important question. Honestly, after that opening that I had, that I experienced, and I had that experience with the Quran and the light pouring out, when I knew with certitude that Islam was the way, that Islam was the path, it became automatic for me. It became without question that I would like to pray five times a day to honor the God that created me, to honor the God that brought me to this way, that brought me to the awareness of His existence. The greatest gift I've ever been given is the gift of being aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's existence, the gift of knowing that He is the ultimate reality, the gift that behind all of this horrible things that we see in the world, behind all of these things, the ultimate reality is goodness. And subhanAllah, the gratitude in my heart that came from that experience led me to want to pray five times a day. And it was an act of love. It wasn't an act of obligation. It was an act of gratitude. And so I think that you really encapsulated an important point that coming to Islam from the inside out, so to speak, had fueled my practice in a way that probably would not have been reached had I come from the outside in. So after the inside experience had opened up and the awareness about God opened up, and I knew with certitude that God was real, and subhanAllah that God was good, and God is loving and merciful, and that Islam was the way that He had intended for humanity. After that realization came to my heart, now my mind wanted to catch up. Now my mind wanted to understand why, why, why. So since then, I started delving into, you know, uh, 
alims such as you know uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. Subhanallah, you know he was a, a a big influence, a big help for me on my intellectual journey. I felt like he was so eloquent and and beautifully understood the concepts of Islam and could relate them in a way that really spoke to my mind as well as my heart. So although the inner confirmation had happened, the outer confirmation was a process that was needing to take place. I began implementing studies of fiqh, the basics of what I need to know for salat and wudu and, and all the basics, of course. And I was embarking on that journey with some of my new Muslim friends. And so that was a an enjoyable process to learn the outer rules. So certainly the outer rules should not be discounted and and they are very important to learn but i've definitely noticed an overemphasis on learning the outer rules without any of the inner reality behind it and subhanallah that's why i'm so happy for soul of islam radio since you guys are really bringing that essence back to the deen that essence back to the ummah that's been so missing one of the things that islam emphasizes a lot in the path and in the way is brotherhood and this social experience. In many ways, Islam is a very social religion. It's a very social experience. The Prophet always emphasized the importance of even spiritual practice in community, in congregation. Having come to Islam, what has that social experience been like for you? How do you feel about the circles and the friends that you have now within the Muslim community? Yes, uh, Brother Aksan, that's a, that's a great question, actually. You know, early on, um, I had converted in a place in Northern California where there were uh, not very many Muslims. And I was very much on my own in the convert experience. I was very much on my own. It felt like it was just me and God. And in the beginning, that was all I needed. I felt very sufficed in that relationship of just coming home and making zikr, and making salah, and reading Quran. And subhanAllah, that that has to be the essence or the core of it, is one's personal connection with God. But as you said so well, human beings are created as social creatures. We need social stimulus. We need connection with other human beings. And let's be honest, you know, it's not always easy adhering to all the, you know, uh, aspects of Islam, especially when you're alone. So what ended up happening was during my first Ramadan, I would be fasting and breaking fast on my own and all these things. And eventually I realized, you know what, this is difficult. This is hard. And and so one of my Muslim friends that I had met, he was a, a convert also, but much further along in the path. He was very kind and, and reached out to me and we would get together once a week for iftar. And that really began to kind of open my heart to the cultural experience that you get from Islam. We would go to iftars at the mosque. There was a local mosque gathering. And I started to see, wow, there's other people out there that are, you know, going, suffering through this fasting experience for me, which I should mention my first Ramadan was actually not very easy for me. Uh, The first few days were very challenging and very difficult. Um, But then something opened and I found that momentum and and from that point on, it, it, it's certainly been easier. So I definitely learned the beauty of, of relying on the community when I came into that room and saw the spread of beautiful and abundant food from all these different cultures. I was like, subhanAllah, this is such a nice way to kind of wrap this rite of passage that we go through together. 
And it's a profound rite of passage. Ramadan is a profound rite of passage. And it's even more profound when you can share that experience with others. And as I began praying five times a day, it also just became a logistical issue of driving around and saying, you know what, I need to pray. Where can I go pray? Where's a safe, quiet place where I can make wudu and pray? And subhanAllah, I just started going to mosques because that was, I was like, well, that makes sense. I'll go pray at the mosque. It, it was funny because it was really more of a matter of convenience than than a desire for community at first. But as I began to go to the mosque and frequent the mosque, because I, I do try my best to always be on time with my prayers to the best of my ability, I naturally began forming relationships with people at the mosques and, and things developed naturally in that sense. So the community was something that did develop over time. So you could say that was the positive side of community. Now, the flip side was there was the other aspect of community that can be challenging, challenging experiences with challenging people, you could say. We know in Islam that we are all brothers and sisters, and, and that's one of the most beautiful understandings that we get from the Abrahamic faith, that we are literally brothers and sisters. That being said, it's not always easy to get along with all of your siblings, right? So while there were definitely positive cultural experiences happening at the mosque, there were also some negative experiences. There were certainly times of feeling... Uh, that people were being condescending towards me. I really received the whole gamut. I received people who were very welcoming and very excited to see a white convert in the mask and very, you know, gentle and caring. So I certainly got that side of it. But I also received the other side of it, which was somewhat of a kind of condescending attitude towards me as, you know, a convert. And even, you know, three, four, five years in, as, you know, I'm no longer necessarily a beginner anymore, but, you know, people make assumptions about you. If, if you're a white American convert, they assume that you converted yesterday and that you don't know how to make wudu or you don't know how to make salat sometimes. So things like that can be a little, you know, a little annoying or a little frustrating. But I guess it's all part of the gamut of the experience. Somebody gave me a good piece of advice, though. They said, you know, don't judge Islam by the Muslims. And I always hold on to that because Islam is perfect and people are not perfect. And I'm not perfect, and we all make mistakes. And so I really took that to heart that, you know, if I notice a Muslim acting out in a bad way, I just have to understand that that's not a reflection on Islam. That's a reflection on this particular person. And subhanAllah, you know, as I've been developing friendships with Muslims, I really come to, to recognize that, first of all, Muslims are, are just normal people. They're, they're just normal people like any other American in this society on many levels. It's just that they're people that love God and they want to live a clean and holy and happy life. And I started really connecting with Muslim brothers and we would just do normal things, play basketball, play football, you know, play video games or whatever. But somehow these simple things and, and bonding with the common cause of worshiping our Creator and surrendering to our Creator it was such a, a beautiful and, you know, heartwarming experience to connect with friends that had shared these kind of ideals. In the beginning of my conversion, I was hanging out with the, you know, same friends, you could say. But I'd have to, like, sneak off and find a place to pray during a gathering. And as time went on, as I started developing more and more and more Muslim friends, I was like, subhanAllah, this is great. I can, st I can stop and pray with these people. I mean, I don't have to actually, like, 
go find a place to make wudu and pray in an inconvenient place, like, subhanAllah. So just sharing the common unity of having that ex- that spiritual experience with my brothers was great. And since then, the quality of my friendships have just gotten better and better. And I feel so honored to have the group of friends and in, in the community that I have now. I feel like they represent the highest example of, of the quality of character that I aspire to emulate as well. Beautifully said. So with that in mind, what kind of advice would you give to people interested in Islam or even converts who have recently reverted to the path of Islam? So the first piece of advice I would have to any converts or people interested in Islam is be merciful with yourself. Islam is an ocean and you cannot drink the ocean in a single sip. Additionally, as you begin to enter into Islamic circles, into masks, you'll see people that have been practicing Islam their whole lives. And sometimes there can be this idea that somehow you need to be a perfect Muslim the first day. And unfortunately, I think that's one reason why you see the mosques so empty and why you see so few conversions. I really think there would be many more conversions to Islam if we made Islam accessible and open and a natural organic thing where people could be exposed to it. But instead you have this kind of almost unrealistic expectation that somebody has to meet or fulfill upon, you know, their earliest entry to Islam. And and Brother Ihsan, as you mentioned earlier, you know, that was actually not the way of the Prophet ﷺ. As we know, the Sahaba had learned gradually the principles and aspects of Islam and it took many years before the outer and aspects of Islam were implemented and the Sharia was implemented. So the first piece of advice I would say is simply be merciful with yourself. Do your best to adhere to the tradition, the best of your ability, adhere to the five pillars, but be merciful with yourself in the beginning. If if it's not easy for you to fulfill all the obligations, just give it your best shot and do your best to be sincere in your commitment with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and know that Allah is merciful and gentle and kind and loves that you are efforting and striving to turn towards Him. I'd also recommend find a good group of mukmin, of believers that can share the journey with you, that can help you on the journey and that can encourage you with mercy and that can lead by example, but not through harsh words, but rather encouragement and living their example of piety and righteousness. Look for people like that and befriend them, and they'll make your journey easier. And uh, lastly, is there a message that you would like to send out to the Muslim community all over the world? You know, if I were to say anything, I would say this. Try to find that perfect balance between the inner sustaining spiritual aspect of Islam and the outer implementation of Islam. If you're somewhere in your life where your practice feels routine and dry and devoid of richness, devoid of connection, devoid of enjoyment, then know that that somewhere you've turned away inwardly from the beautiful experience that the ritualistic aspects of Islam can bring you. So if you're not experiencing that, find somebody or find a way to connect with the inner aspect of that. On the Soul of Islam radio, they explore many of those aspects. And in my experience, the tradition of Tasawwuf or the tradition of Sufism has been the means of exploring that inner journey, that inner aspect of Islam. So however that 
relates to you, find a way that you can connect with the inner spirituality of Islam and find that personal and intimate connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah is inviting you to have. And lastly, remember, behind all of this, the entire intent of Islam is to establish a relationship with your Creator and to let that be the guiding principle behind all of your actions, behind all of the rituals. Let that set the compass for your life. Barakallahu feek. Thank you. May Allah bless you for sharing your insight and your experience with us and all the listeners all over the world. Jazakallah khair. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So happy to be in support of what you guys are doing. I'm your number one fan and I will be liking this on Facebook. It's been a joy having you on board here, Daniel, with the show. And it's been a true honor and joy developing a friendship with you over the last year or so. And inshallah, we would like to have you back in the near future. Anytime, brother. A special thanks to all the listeners who've tuned in from all over the world. May Allah bless you and reward you and strengthen you on the path back to the divine. We at Soul of Islam Radio sincerely thank you for tuning in, tuning into the radio station, but more importantly, tuning into yourself, to your own souls, to your spiritual development, to your personal growth and evolution. May Allah's support, guidance, and light be with you, be with us. May His divine will move us and enable and empower all of us to help revive our community and to bring it back to the beauty and the light that made this nation great. This brings us to the end of this episode. Alhamdulillah, and thank you again for tuning in. To continue supporting the Soul of Islam radio, please do the following. Please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash soul of Islam radio. Make sure to subscribe and please give us a review and a rating on iTunes or any of these services that you may come across. Any contributions or donations will be uh, greatly appreciated. And lastly, please recommend to your family and friends. Please visit our website at soulofislamradio.com. There you will find a free multimedia course to help you rediscover the spiritual dimension of Islam, as well as subscription links to services such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, and TuneIn, and links to our personal blogs and social media profiles, as well as a form for you, the listeners, to send in any suggestions for future episodes. To help you achieve a state of meditation, please visit islamicmeditation.com and with that may the peace and the mercy of the divine be upon you all assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh